Hi, my name is Craig Tim, and you're listening to The Craig Tim Show. Each time we get together, I'll be sharing God's message on living the Christian life. During our sessions together, He's going to want to challenge us, and He's going to want to test us. He's going to want to see where are we in our walk. He wants to make a difference in our lives. He, the Lord Almighty, wants to be our lives. Our doubts from day to day may cause us to question that, but I want you to know He is there and He will not let us fail. I want to begin our message with a little quiz today. So if you have a little notepad, a pencil or pen, something to write with, just to jot down a few little answers here, we're going to see how well we do how well that we can identify with these following products by their advertising slogans. All right, we're going to find out how well we have been listening to those marketers out there. We'll start out with a few easy ones. Okay, you ready? Here we go. It's the real thing. Now write down who you think that is. Here's one that most of us should know. What's in your wallet? And how about, can you hear me now? Okay, we're going to go to the next set. A little bit of a younger crowd that may recognize these better than others. Live in your world, play in ours. It's so easy, a caveman could do it. You've got questions. We've got answers. What do you think? Do you have those? All right, let's go back to the first one. It's the real thing. Coke. Coca-Cola. Sure. And what's in your wallet? We're still seeing commercials about that today. Capital One. And can you hear me now? Do you remember which phone service that is? And Verizon. Can you hear me now? It's Verizon. And the next group, it was live in your world, play in ours. That might be a little tougher for us older folks that we're not into those game boards and everything. It's PlayStation said that. And we still see some of these. Actually, I haven't seen any of these for a while, but so easy a caveman can do it. That was Geico. And you've got questions. We've got answers. And that was Radio Shack. And I really don't think Radio Shack is around anymore, to be honest with you. I think they have all uh, gone away out there. I'm, I'm not sure. I know there is there aren't any Radio Shacks in, in my uh, local community, but uh, I'm not sure. Okay, we have one more. This is now for the older group. The more seasoned listeners out there that may have heard these for many, many years. You ready? Mm-mm, good. Build strong bodies 12 ways. And here's the last one. Where's the beef? Okay, let's see what you got. Mm-mm, good. That's Campbell's Soup. That was around for a long, long time. And the Build Strong Bodies 12 ways? Yeah, Wonder Bread. I think Wonder Bread's still around. There's so many other kind of breads out there. But anyway, and the last one was, 
Where's the beef? Which fast food restaurant had that one? Wendy's, right? Remember the older senior citizen? Okay, the grandma lady, I'll just say it. Remember her, that cute little one? And where's the beef? Uh, it was just really cute commercial back in the day. But anyway, don't worry about it. But what's important with that phrase, that just happens to be the title of today's message. Where's the beef? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner is a normal part of our day, right? For most of us. Most of us revolve our days around eating food, especially here in America. You, you probably wouldn't think of going without food for weeks at a time necessarily, but because food is, we have to have food for physical life. Without it, we eventually become weakened and ill. And just as this occurs, the lack of spiritual food produces the same results in our spiritual lives. We become weakened and we become ill if we don't have the spiritual food like we need for physical food, right? I want to ask you this simple question today. What are the hungers in your life? Think about that for a moment. What are the hungers in your life? What are the longings that you yearn to have satisfied? If those desires are outside of the will of God for your life, then to try and satisfy them only brings you disappointment and pain. But if they are part of the will of God for you, then to satisfy them will bring joy, growth, and masterful fulfillment. Now, fortunately... Jesus not only tells us about our hunger and our thirsts, he also tells us how we can be satisfied. Jesus tells us that the way to be filled, quote, the way to be filled is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It is a hunger for holiness that fills the soul and satisfies our spiritual needs. But what is righteousness, you ask? Well, for those first century listeners, their understanding of righteousness was what had been taught to them and demonstrated by the Pharisees. Now, to the Pharisees, righteousness meant a strict conformity to a long list of rules they made for themselves. For their holiness was an external practice and had very little to do with the matters of the heart. Perhaps that's why Jesus warns us in Matthew 5.20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. How's that for in your face? The Pharisees were meticulous in their attempt to follow all of their laws. Now, one of their many faults in this process was that they were content to obey their laws outwardly without allowing God to change their hearts inwardly their attitudes jesus is saying here in this passage that we need a different kind of righteousness a, a love and an obedience not just a more concentrated effort of the pharisees ways which was legal compliance no external goodness or righteousness born out of pride which seeks the praises of others isn't holiness it's hypocrisy true righteousness is a matter of the heart did you hear what I said? True righteousness is the matter of your heart. How about that? 
Our righteousness must come from what God does in us, not what we can do for ourselves. It must be God-centered, not self-centered. It must be based on reverence for God, not approval from people. We should be just as concerned about our attitudes that others don't see as about our actions that are seen. Perhaps a brief lesson in theology will help remind us of the true meaning of righteousness today. Theologian tells us there are three types of stages of righteousness. First, there's imputed righteousness. Then there's imparted righteousness. And finally, there's external righteousness. The imputed righteousness is when we first trust Christ as our personal Savior. We are declared righteous through his death on the cross. That's imputed righteousness. Then as we begin our journey with Christ, our life begins to change. As the Holy Spirit begins to transform us from the inside out, that's imparted righteousness. And finally, when Christ returns and we are made complete by being fully transformed in his likeness, we will experience eternal righteousness with him. When Jesus spoke of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, he was referring to imparted righteousness. It's that daily process in which the Holy Spirit transforms us into a likeness of Christ. And often when we think of righteousness, we think of purity. We think that if we become righteous, there is less sin in our lives. Now, that may be true, yes, but we must realize that righteousness is not merely an absence of sin. Righteousness is also the presence of God. I'll say that again. We must realize righteousness is not merely an absence of sin. Righteousness is also the presence of God. Righteousness isn't simply saying no to that which is evil or wrong or immoral, but we must say yes to the purposes and the plans God has for our lives. So, to be righteous means to be right. Right with God. Right with self. And right with others. When you hunger and thirst for God, you are beginning to live as God intended you to live. Your spiritual senses are being exercised and developed. Paul wrote to Timothy saying, Train yourself to be godly. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Jesus also promises through his beatitude that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. How does righteousness bring fulfillment? If knowing God and enjoying God is the greatest desire of our lives, then the fulfilling of that desire will bring us the greatest joy. Yes, those who have placed their trust in Christ have found the answer to be hidden hunger and thirst in their life. For Jesus Christ is the bread of life, and he alone can satisfy. In John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And John 4.14 is quoted there. 
Seeking to please the Father and cultivating a hunger for righteousness brings about a remarkable change in our lives. After all, we are what we eat. And if our food is to do the will of God, then our lives will become righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is not only what we do, it is who are we becoming through Christ. John Cassius tells the story of a young man. He was seeking to find the meaning of life. So he sought out and he went to visit a prophet. <clears throat> Excuse me. He went to this prophet and he asked him if he would share with him the way to true deliverance. The prophet looked at him and he said, Do you, do you mean you want to find the meaning of life? And the young man said, to him, Oh, yes. Yes, that is my ultimate desire, old prophet. Yes. All right. Prophet said, Well, come with me. He led him down a trail through a beautiful forest type of, uh, you know, patch of trees and just a beautiful foliage. And down they come at the bottom of the hill and they broke out from the tree line. And there was this crystal clear lake. It was so clear and it was so calm on that particular day. It, it was like a mirror. You know, one of those pictures where you, you look at and you see the reflection of, the, uh, of the, the, the mountain range or the trees on the other side of the lake and they're reflecting off the, the, uh, the water, the lake. And it looks like two pictures. It looks like two, two murals almost. That's what this lake was like. It was blue as blue and clear as clear could be. The prophet led this young man out into the lake a little ways. As they walked out down through the, uh, got a little deeper there, you know, from the shoreline, the young man was getting so excited. He presumed he was about to undergo some special rite of cleansing or, or purification. He was going to learn about the meaning of life from this wise old prophet. They got out there just a little ways, you know, just about waist deep or so. And the prophet suddenly turned. He grabbed the young man's head and he forced it under the water and he held it there. For goodness sakes, he held this guy's head under the water. He was frailing away and kicking and arms and the water splashing everywhere. And he kept holding him longer and longer. And finally, in the last gasp, the young man wrenched himself free. And he came to the surface. He jumped out of the water, gasping for air huffing and puffing and trying to just catch his breath. And the young man looked at the prophet in shock and disbelief. But the old prophet just quietly asked him a question. When you thought you were drowning, young man, what did you want most in life? Well, this guy said, air, my goodness, don't be stupid. I wanted air. I needed air. I wanted air the most of anything. To which the prophet replied, When you want salvation as much as you wanted air just now, then you will find it. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's a concern that I... Okay, I'm not sure I should share this, but I will. there's a concern I've had, you know, many times over the years when at church, you know, when you're leaving church and out the doors, people are talking as they're going out and, and you're saying goodbye and you're greeting those that maybe you don't know very well or, or visitors and so forth. And so, 
some of them have shared in the past that they're having a hard time finding reasons to return. Their complaint, believe it or not, was that they weren't fed by the speaker's message. And now that I think about it, maybe some of you are going to feel the same way after today's message here today too, that you're not being fed enough. But what are these people really saying, right? What are, what are they really saying when they make that comment? It is somewhat commonly understood in, in, in church, I mean, just in society in general, that the pastor or, or the speaker is supposed to, quote, feed the sheep and give such an inspirational message each week that the congregation leaves with an enhanced understanding of God's word. But my question to you is, is this, you know, known understanding, I just said, is, is that biblically based? What I see is an attitude that becomes somewhat childish, and then they end up making excuses for their lack of their own spiritual growth. See, these people are blaming the pastor or the teacher of the week rather than taking responsibility for their own faith. Now, I, I grew up mostly a, a city boy, but I did work on the family farm for many years. <clears throat> Excuse me. We, we we had just a small herd of cattle to take care of and and some farmland. Oh, well, gosh, it was about 120 acres or so. That So it wasn't large, but it was enough that fed the family over the years when, you know, when my father grew up and, and his siblings and so forth. Anyway, that being said, I want to say that, you know, I knew how to take care of cattle. But I don't have any experience on raising sheep. But I know that rarely do shepherds actually feed their sheep. See, I don't think shepherds pull the grass out of the ground and shove it in the sheep's mouth and then move his jaws up and down, up and down, up and down for chewing and hold it closed until he swallows it. I believe the shepherd leads the sheep to the fields and then the sheep feed themselves. I think that's how it works with sheep. The writer of Hebrews has some choice words in chapter 5, though, to the people. He says, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. That was 5.12. Now, I know you know some of these stories. If, if, if there's an orphan lamb out there, the shepherd would do anything to go get him. And he'll need to feed this baby lamb with a bottle of milk. The people talked about here in Hebrews 5.12, they were like orphan lambs. They were not growing. And they could only handle a bottle of milk. That's all that they could take in. That's all they wanted was this bottle of milk. Well, my friends, welcome to the Church of America. For many churchgoers, the only sermon of God's word they receive is the milk given to them from the bottle of the pulpit. Churches today are full of spiritual infants who are stuck in the baby stage of maturity because they've grown dependent on milk from the pulpit. Verse 13 in this chapter says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. The main idea going on here is that the people of God should be maturing beyond the dependency of the teachers and the pastors. They should be studying on their own accord and be a source of nourishment to others. 
I'm not sure if we can really consider the teaching of the pulpit as in any meat at all, to be honest with you. As long as we're being spoon-fed from there each week, it's like the shepherd bottle feeding the infant lamb. If we want to eat meat, we need to consume the word ourselves. That's what we need to be doing on a regular basis. Verse 14 of that chapter says, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That's why we need to be eating solid food, so we can distinguish the good from the evil. Now, in order to grow from infant Christian to mature Christian, we must learn discernment. We must train our consciousness, our senses, train our minds to distinguish good from evil. Can you recognize temptation before it traps you? Can you do that? Are you mature enough for that? Are you getting enough meat to do that? Can you tell the difference between the correct use of Scripture and those that misuse it? Maturity is attained by repetitive practice in God's Word so that we habitually are hearing God's voice and we know these differences. Have we inadvertently kept so many others immature? The solution is not necessarily teaching deeper subjects, but getting the people to change their habits and dependence on speakers and begin reading God's Word consistently themselves. Now, once we begin feeding ourselves, we will grow and we'll become stronger. We'll become more discernment. We'll be able to disintegrate the things that come across us. We'll become mature. Just as we matured each year of our lives just through our age, right? We can then begin to feed other babes and help them learn to feed themselves like we as parents all did with our children. As long as a vast majority of Christians remain immature and dependent on the milk of the pulpit, we're not helping them grow at all. And if that's the case, we can't reproduce disciples. We cannot make the next generation of leaders and the church plants and the movements around our community and country. It's unable to do that without that. As I close, I want to share another quick example here. A family was driving down to Tampa, Florida, right? Beautiful. They're going on vacation and getting down, they're heading to Tampa, and they're going to end up on the beach, and they're just going to have a grand old time. But they've been, they were driving early in the morning. It's been a long drive, and so they stopped for breakfast. Now, the dad ordered orange juice with his eggs and his bacon and all the other stuff that came with, with his uh, uh, order. Oh, I'm sorry, the waitress said. I, I can't bring you orange juice today. Our, our machine is broken. Now, this guy just didn't fall off the tuna truck. He's thinking here, we've been driving by acres and acres of orange trees out there. We're surrounded by millions of oranges. And he knew they had oranges in the kitchen because they had those pretty little orange slices garnished on their plates, right, that you get. So what was the problem? No juice? I doubt it. We're surrounded by thousands of gallons of juice across the street. The problem was they had become so dependent on the machine to get it, when the machine broke, they no longer could have it. Christians are sometimes like that. They may be surrounded by Bibles in their homes, but if something should happen to that Sunday morning preaching service, that message that they heard, 
and they don't feel they have any nourishment for their souls for that week? The problem is not a lack of spiritual food, but that many Christians haven't grown enough to know how to go get it for themselves right there in their own home. If you're finding yourself hungry, or if you're finding yourself out of sync with God, and you're hungry for what He has to give you, I invite you to pursue Him in prayer and seek the nourishment you desire. Don't ask, where's the beef? Go get it yourself. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for hearing God's word here. You know, he just doesn't want us to be babes out there. We are to mature and we are to grow and we are to feed ourselves. Yes, we go to church and we hear the message. The message is just to help accentuate what we have been reading from him. It's not that we're waiting just to get that and that is our only food for the week. That's not nourishment enough. Go get it yourself. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for all that you do for us, all that you provide for us, all that you want for us. Help us to seek after you more and more each day. You say we're not going to be hungry, we're not going to be thirsty, because with your holy righteousness, we will be fed and filled. Bless you, my friends. Thank you for tuning in. May God touch you in all the ways that you seek from him today. Amen. And amen.